Don't hit me with them negative waves so early in the morning. Think that bridge will be there. Mm-hmm. And it'll be there. It's a mother beautiful bridge. And it's gonna be there. Here you go, more negative waves. Have a little faith, baby. Have a little faith. All right, welcome back again, Ray. Renaissance 90. Yes, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> I can't believe we're not over 100 episodes yet. feels like we've been doing this forever. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, but, but be completely honest, um, and I'm not going to edit this out, but are, are you having fun? I'm having fun. I tell Heather all the time about the various artists, the crazy I, things that are going on in the Renaissance. I just find it completely fascinating, and I'm glad we did this because it is an incredible world. And obviously, it's going to lead to the age of reason, but I am having a lot of fun and learning a lot. Me too. My only worry is I know that by the time I get back to Florence, I'm going to have forgotten it all. <laughs> so I've got to... <laughs> Yeah, good point. I'm always like, how do I... I need to condense it down. I, see, it's not a bad idea. I should write Cam and Ray's Guide to the Renaissance, just a book with an abbreviated version of all of this. So it just says, Filippo Lippi yeah. fucked a lot of hot bitches, uh, <laughs> climbed out of a window awesome. <laughs> with right. bed sheets. He was an awesome awesome artist when he actually got it yeah, down to any Yeah, work. fucked a nun and ran yeah. off with a... Uh, you know, they just you know <laughs> taught taught the Botticelli how to paint hotties, right? Um, <laughs> and by the way, I didn't mention this in the last episode. I mentioned the Lippy painting though. If you if you pull up the Lippy painting of the Madonna that um, I mentioned, let me see. It's called Madonna and Child. This is the. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is also in the Uffizi. This is the one that uh, was modelled on the chick that he banged and ran off with. Um, right. If you look at this, uh, like it's uh, so it's painted fourteen sixty to fourteen sixty five. So a tw- good twenty years before Botticelli's um, Madonna and the Magnificat. But if you look at it. Very, you can see Botticelli coming out of this. Like the skin is beautiful. She's got the big eyes. Um, there is the the delicate filament sort of scarf that's transparent that we talked about in the Botticelli Madonna painting. Um, right. Yeah, you know, it's definitely not as beautiful as the Botticelli. Uh, she, yes. she's, she's pretty, but she's not dead gorgeous. Uh, but I think there is, right. I think there is a natural progression. When you look at Lippy, you can see the beginnings of a Botticelli in there. Botticelli took this and just ran with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the natural progression there. Uh, like, like, like Botticelli far superior to, to Lippy, yes, um, yeah. but the, the beginnings of it—you can see where he went. Oh yeah, I, I, I see what you're doing there. Hold my beer, right? Huh? Um, right. Anyway, I do think we need to we need to uh, do a, a written guide that we can take with us and uh, we can we can make available to people for a huge sum of money. Uh, uh, <laughs> the Cam and Ray guide to walking around Florence. There you go. And if you pay enough, we'll come with you. So no. there's that. Fuck that. We did that. No. Oh, my God. 
Okay, sorry, take that off the shelf. Sorry. sorry. I'm kidding to all the sorry. people that came with us. It was great fun. Good fun. Yeah. Good fun. Fox. It was just crowded just, and hard. And just Fox. Yeah. Fox ruined the whole thing. Um, <laughs> now, we, 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 we talked about Botticelli uh, last time, sort of skipped ahead to his painting, but I want to go back a bit uh, to remember the, the, the coup against uh, Piero the Gouty by, by oh, the yeah. Pitti and Soderini, and he was going to be ambushed, but 17-year-old Lorenzo rode in. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, with the cavalry and saved him. Uh, right. Botticelli celebrated that with his first full-scale masterpiece, and this is the Adoration of the Magi. Now, we said in the last episode that uh, Botticelli was only five years older than Lorenzo, so if Lorenzo was 17 when this went down, mm-hmm. uh, Botticelli would have been 22, 23 by the time he painted this right. painting. The Adoration Damn. of the Magi. 1475 is when it's usually uh, said to have been painted. He was born in 1444, 54, 64, 70. That actually makes him 31. So maybe it was 10 years later that he painted this. Somehow the numbers don't add up. I don't know what's going on here. But let's talk about this painting right. anyway because it's his first masterpiece. Have you got it open in front of you, Ray? Boom. Yes. Adoration of the Magi. Love this Painting. A full 10 years earlier than the Madonna of the Magnificat that we talked about. Now, the Adoration of the Magi, mm-hmm. the Magi, for those of you who don't know your Christianity, are the the, the magicians, uh, the three wise <clears throat> men. Or No, what it is. That's Penn and Teller. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, right. and the, the, the guys with the white tigers from Vegas, whatever their names are. <laughs> <laughs> One of them got eaten by a tiger, so he didn't make it. Sunny three. Right. Yeah, don't do that. Just the one showed up. The three wise men or the three kings. I think I've talked about this before, this story, how it's um, not really in the Bible. Uh, there's there's oh. no three wise men or three kings in the Bible. You know about that? Have I talked to you about that? That's so, I think you have, and I think my reaction was that sounds like blasphemy. Yeah. Yeah. I just assumed they were in there. Yeah. But yeah. not so yeah. much. Okay. Well, uh, so what there is is the gospel according to Matthew, which is probably the second of the gospels written. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mention how many there were. He says uh, some magi. I'm going to get the actual quote. Right. He says, A posse. In, right. in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Uh, which is a problem to begin with because King Herod would have been dead. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. Uh, That's that's it. So he doesn't know. So wise men from the east doesn't say three, doesn't say there were kings, just wise men, doesn't say they came with uh, gifts uh, doesn't say that the, right. you know myrrh and chrysanthemums. No gold, frankincense, gold. and myrrh. Yeah. None of that. Cocaine. So right. the only right. mention, only mention of it in the Bible. Sorry, it does say that. It says then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. My mistake. But he doesn't say three kings. Right. This is a thing that came on later. Right. Now, 
One of the guys, Barry and Stan. Well, one of the guys in my film uh, from Texas, Brent Landau, wrote a book about this. Uh-huh. Uh huh. About about where it comes from, and apparently it, it comes from uh, I think a Muslim tradition. No, it's not Muslim. No, what was it? Right. Um, Ah oh, shit! Anyway, there was a there was a non-Christian tradition, might have been Muslim or no, might have been um, uh, who are the fucking uh, the 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 Persians, a Persian um, tradition, mm-hmm. I think, that okay. said they 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 sent some guys. Um, to worship at Jesus. And there's this whole story, mythology, not to worship, but to recognize or something. There's this, there's this, this whole uh, tradition about stories, etc., etc., that, that are non-Christian in origin, where it says, some of them say there was like 100 guys who went, apparently. Anyway, it's a fascinating story. Mm. Don't want to get lost in the weeds here. I'm already out of my depth. I didn't prep for any of this. But this is the painting they did, the Adoration of the Magi. It was as a Thanksgiving altarpiece for the Church of Santa Maria Novella, better known as what, Ray? Oh, it was the first great basilica of Florence. Um, Shit, shit, shit. Right, very good. Three shits. Uh, the it's gone. The triple... <laughs> The triple shit. <laughs> oh my god, I'm completely blanking. No kidding. No. Blanking. Well, we've yeah. we've talked about it before. It was uh, the facade was developed by Alberti, Leon Battista Alberti. Um, it was the Tornabuoni Chapel and uh, the Holy mm. Trinity by Masaccio. Remember that that amazing, the first true painting with linear perspective was done by young Masaccio and it was uh, oh. Jesus on a cross inside of like a, 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 what do you call those things? Uh, fuck. Um, like a dome. He's inside of a dome and there's people mm-hmm. either side of him. He died young, poisoned because he was just too good. Anyway, that's there, etc., etc., etc. We didn't go there. Where our bus right. stopped, the Piazza Santa Maria Novella. That's where our bus stopped when we got to Florence, and we got off, and then we had to walk to our hotel. Mm-hmm. The 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 Santa Maria Novella Church is right near there, but we didn't go in because we right. wanted to get to our hotel. We'd been on a long bus. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Anywho. Uh, the the thing about this painting is it has lots of Medici in it. Yeah, there's the three Magi. Um, they are, and what I liked about this was because I think he decided he was going to put a lot of people in it. One, showing his skills. Two, like you said, he's going to put a lot of Medici in it. And so he has to have a large uh, foreground. But the emphasis is supposed to be on the baby. So he has to raise the Virgin and Jesus up so he can squeeze everybody in. And uh, I, I think the effect is very nice. Instead of a fancy uh, church or an altar or whatever, they're in this Roman ruin that still looks like it could fall down at any second. And they're all gathered around the mother and the baby. And like you said, there's a lot of people to the left. There's a lot of people to the right. But the Medici who are participating in this, Cosimo, Pietro, uh, Lorenzo, they're the ones who are the closest and they are the most active in the in the painting. Yeah. Yeah, look, it, it doesn't have the striking beauty that his later works do. 
Right. But there's interesting things about it just from a, a design perspective and also from a, a depiction of the people in it. From a design perspective, if you have it open in front of you, ladies and gentlemen at home, the thing that jumps out most about me is uh, the the triangulation of it. Mary's head is yes. is uh, not in the center of the painting, but uh, uh, raised, and then you can draw triangles. If you go down to the guy on the right who's looking at us, mm-hmm. who, as it turns out, is actually Botticelli himself, right. and then if you go down to the horse's head on the left. Yeah. You've got a nice train. It's drawing your eyes in yes. to uh, Mary in the middle and some creepy uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi sitting just up behind her there. Right. What, what, what? I assume it's supposed to be Joseph. Right. Yeah. What about the, the um, like you said, this uh, it has that triangle, but it's also got two other triangles. And, and I know this doesn't make sense, but this is how I thought of it. Picture the people on the left and the people on the right. They're in a triangle. If you take a triangle and you kind of turn it on its side, and so they're both pointing inward at each other, they're almost in a triangular shape the way they're massed together. And again, that kind of forces your eyes mm-hmm. inward. And then you go up to see the the baby mm-hmm. and the mother's well. I just thought that was so. And even if you look at the people, they're look except for a couple of them that we'll get to in a minute. They're looking at the baby. So whether it's the triangles, pull it, pushing your eye towards baby Jesus, or you look at the people, you wonder what they're looking at. So you look where they're looking. Boom! It goes right back to the baby and mother. Just brilliantly done. Very subtle but very powerful. So the uh, the first, I mean, I, in terms of uh, what my eye is drawn to, mm-hmm. the center above Mary, there's the um, assassination bullet coming down sure. out of the sky. Right. Uh, I yeah. Somebody is trying to shoot either baby Jesus uh, uh, or Mary. Right. Um, I I like to think that this is a traveler from the future. Right, Ray, trying to say there's a lot of has trouble. gone back to this. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and is standing on the roof so of I, the building gotta, trying to shoot baby Jesus this. in the head. i got to end this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were going to go back and kill baby Hitler. Right. But then somebody you know. said, well, you know what? The reason the, reason <laughs> the Europeans hated the Jews right. was mostly because of Jesus. So if you go so, back and kill baby Jesus. Win-win. You'd probably take care of the Holocaust and, yeah, uh, or the, the 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 Spanish Inquisition and all of the bad treatment Just of the all Jews, the, all the pogroms. Yes, Con, yeah, convex mirrors, all of that by Gutenberg, all and, of it. And yeah. then the whole then the whole Israel Palestine thing doesn't happen right. because the Holocaust didn't happen, and that was the only reason we let Israel happen in the first place. Pretty much, you just it, you know it, it, if you go back so and you kill Jesus, problems. baby Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Would you go back and kill baby Jesus? Somebody was like, I'll be up for that. I'll take that gig. <laughs> <clears throat> so there's a little Cruise. bit of that in right. there. Right. The next thing that my eye gets drawn to is the old man kneeling yes. in front of Jesus and Mary, touching Jesus's feet. Baby Ooh. Jesus is giving him a look like hey, uh, either hey. uh, I don't. Yeah. Suck on my <laughs> no, toes. I, I see the look. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I just assumed. I see the look as, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't get any closer, old man. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know bomb. where those hands have been. Right, right. Um, but he is saluting him. He's got his hand up. He's like, 
He's giving him the old two finger salute, right. like, all right, yeah, you know, yeah, respect, yeah, yes, that's it. It's a, I can't, I can't do that noise. My mouth won't let me do that noise for some reason. It's okay, can't do it. That's fine. Can't whistle, can't whistle with my thumb and my forefinger. I can't, I can't, can't do that. No, and I, I can't do the click, the click, click right. thing. But you are either. a cunning linguist. Uh, so. But if yeah, I, that's my one skill. <laughs> As we know. If you zoom in, so the old man is who, Ray? That is Cosimo, the one and only. Yes. Yes. Cosimo the first. The first. Um, who died Died when, Ray? Oh, shit. Nope. Gone. I don't know the date. This was way, I mean, this was before this, <laughs> obviously, but uh, I don't know the date. Not that far before this. Uh, died in 1464. Mm. Uh, around about the time that, uh, what's his face, Botticelli moved into the Palazzo Medici. Oh. Because uh, he would have been about 20 right. when Cosimo died. So he was a living contemporary of Cosimo. This painting was done, I think I said 1475, so 10, 11 years later. Mm-hmm. But he knew, he knew. Cosimo. That's cool. So it is considered probably the best painting of Cosimo. According to Vasari, Vasari said this was the most lifelike and natural Mm. of all the portraits of Cosimo that had survived to his day. Mm. Pretty good looking guy. Solid features. Didn't get fat with old age. Well, yeah. We know he, he. I mean, he wasn't good looking. He was no. a Medici, um, right. you know. And s- some of the other portraits of him. I mean, he looks like this: skinny, yeah, bony, uh, f- sort of dry, uh, bankery-like features. Right. But Could if you worse. zoom in on this painting, you look at the, you can see the bone structure in his head. Yes. I find that fascinating. Because if you look at a lot of the other earlier Detail. Renaissance paintings, you look at people's faces, there's not a lot of bone structure showing right. through. Um, but you can really see the angularity yes. of his cheekbones and his forehead and here. His neck. It's in a darkened yeah. room. Yeah, but it's, it's like dim light, but you can see some of the reflection of his bones. Like, absolutely masterful. Then right. if you go down and look at, again, the gold filament on his robes, on oh, his cloaks, wow. and the pearls. Look at the pearls oh, yeah. in the middle of those gold filaments. I mean, that is incredible work here. <laughs> Just yeah. the detail that he's paid to Cosimo's outfit alone is amazing. Um Mary in this, again, doesn't look like sex on a stick. No. She's, your, she's your lippy. Your lippy-esque Mary. Right. It's like pretty. Yeah. I do her, but, you know, not... Yeah. You're not looking at this going, hold on, I need to get a box of tissues. <laughs> like she's... Her, her eyes are closed or looking down. Right. Her lips are thin. She she looks like, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a regal portrait, yeah. it's not a, a blistering, yeah. sexy right. portrait. Right. Yeah. You look at the quality of the painting of her robes. It's it's good, yeah, but it's not shimmering. Not super sharp. You know, it's it's right. delicate, right? Yeah, yeah, like he can do. Yeah. But 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 like great, uh, you know, great. Uh, nonetheless, now 
Let's talk about who else is in the painting. On the left mm-hmm. is Lorenzo, the guy uh, on the far left. He's holding his sword in front of him like it's his dick. Yeah. Uh, it's my penis. Yeah. Yeah. I could cut a fool. <laughs> and look at the air. Is that arrogance? Is that haughty? Is that youth on his face? What is that? He's like, I'm here, whatevs. I, I just wanted to be able to say I was here, take a picture with my Instagram, whatever. I, I can't really make out his expression. Does he care? I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you can move <laughs> off my penis bigger, it's different. In the eye of the beholder. They, they can handle it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it's uh, something haughty. Yeah. I deserve about to his be stance. Here. Now, Right. Again, if this is based on how he saved his father, Piero the Gaudi, from being ambushed, you know, he, he is the hero of the day. That's true. And he... It kind of looks like it. He looks like, yeah, yeah. I'm, the, I'm a fuck. I'm the man. I got a sword. I may be 17. Yeah. I'll fuck you up. But I am magnificent. Right. <laughs> I will fuck, fuck you with my you sword. Yeah. And by my sword, I mean my dick. <laughs> <clears throat> now, right. there's a white horse uh, over his shoulder. Sure. Over his arm. Have a look at the horse's mouth. What's going on there? Is the he... horse's mouth is like. It's open? And the horse is looking at the camera. And he's, it looks like you know, it's got a bit between his teeth. That what? might be it. But he's okay. kind of like, hey, yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm Charlie. But again, What's look at name? the structure. Yeah. Look at the look at the structure of the, the bone, oh, the bone it's, structure it's underneath the yes. skin in the horse's face. Like you could touch it. It's like you could touch it. It's that real. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, amazingly done. Now, uh, same with uh, Lorenzo. And I think... Standing beside Lorenzo, and I think Lorenzo is supposed to be, I don't know if he's one of the wise men or not. No, probably not. The wise men are the other two guys down the front there. Right. Lorenzo uh, is flanked, I think, by Poliziano, mm. who leans on one of his shoulders. Right. And the other guy is Pico della Mirandola. Love that hat. Now, I've... S- when we did Mirandola before, I've yeah. talked about another portrait of him where he, he looked like gorgeous. Right. Um, he was especially hottie. Now, he and uh, Poliziano also lived in Palazzo Medici various times and right. were possibly lovers with, with Lorenzo. I mean, there might have been a little bit of, yeah. uh, you know, ho- round, homosexual round fucking Robin. going yeah. on between Choo-choo these guys. Train, yeah. Something. I don't know. Definitely Pico and Poliziano were supposedly homosexual lovers. Right. Uh, Rumours are that Lorenzo might have been involved. We don't know. But uh, you, you, so these are these three guys. These are the best buds. Again, Botticelli grew up with these guys. So they're his best friends too. Yeah. And oh, Lorenzo, yeah. of course, is his patron. Now, let's talk about uh, what else is going on in here. Uh, one of the other three wise men is Piero, the gouty, mm-hmm. apparently. Yeah. And on the far right of the painting, staring at the viewer, yeah. is a self-portrait of Botticelli himself. Now, what do you, what do you notice about Botticelli? Anything that uh, stands out about his 
self-portrait? Um, I love the look on his face because I can't tell if he's haughty, if he's serious, if he's like, I really shouldn't be painting my own picture into this thing with a bunch of Medici's who I'm not on their level. I'm trying to figure out the expression on his face, but he's just going for a neutral, almost like a Madonna-esque, I'm just staring at you while you're staring at my work. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the thing that strikes me most about uh, him in mm. this is that it's very simple. Like yes. everyone else has got very colorful clothes. And his details. He, yeah. his, yeah, a lot, a lot of embroidery and that kind yeah. of stuff. He's got a little bit of filament embroidery on his trim here, but it's almost monochromatic, his painting of himself. Mm-hmm. The color of his hair, the color of his skin, the color of his robe or his cloak that he's wearing, the color of his shoes, it's all the same. It's all yeah. this tan it, color, but he's, you have a to, light tan. Right. You have to look, you have to search, you have to work to find him because he just kind of blends in. Now, what was the occupation of his father? His father was a, a tanner and then a goldsmith. Well, we don't know about the goldsmith, oh, but a tanner. tanner. Yeah, and and he is—he's all in tan here. It's this oh, tan color. Right. He almost blends in with the background over his shoulder there, yeah. but it does sort of strike out. And I mean, apart from the fact that he's staring you right in the eyes, like this "come <laughs> right. fuck me" look, right. um, he's flirting. <laughs> he's flirting Ooh, yeah. with the audience. Like, come to tell me if you were a woman. In Florence in 1475, and you saw this painting, you wouldn't immediately look up his phone number or follow him on Tinder and, I, you know, <laughs> right swipe on that. You know, would, you'd be like, hell yes. I would be intrigued. I would at the very least. Look at those lips. Yeah. Oh, what he could do with those look lips. Look at the mouth. What is, who does the mouth remind you of? Oh, you're not going to say Kim Kardashian, are you? Hold on. I got to catch. I got to zoom in some more. Look at the eyes and the mouth. I tell you, he's a young Sylvester Stallone. Yes, in my book. Sly, what's sort up? of the the hooded eyes. Yeah. Adrian, yeah. Adrian, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Adrian. It's yeah. hour three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about? He's a good Italian boy. Yeah. Mm. What about the uh, the man who commissioned the painting, Gaspare? Oh he's, yes. I wanted to ask yeah. you. In your opinion, so he's on the right-hand side. He's in blue. He's looking um, at the audience as well. I read one interpretation is that he's pointing at himself, saying, yes, I'm the motherfucker that paid for this piece of uh, masterwork, and so you're welcome. But the other one is that he is pointing at you, the audience. What, what was your interpretation? Uh, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't seem to be pointing. He might be pointing at himself. I think he is pointing at himself, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pointing at himself like, yeah, I, I, I did this. Yeah. Um, You're welcome, I, At first I thought he was pointing at the uh, the peacock that's, yeah. Get that. that's up above right. him on the wall. Right. Don't shit on me. I swear yeah. to God yeah. if you shit on me. Look at that. I got, yeah. I've got a peacock uh, <laughs> my, by that, and I mean my cock. Uh, no, I think he. I think, I think he is pointing at himself, right? But he doesn't jump out as much as you as uh, Botticelli does, right? You can barely like, see he, him. You know, to me, he's not as obvious. There's another guy on the left looking at the 
viewer as well. I don't know who that guy oh, is, yeah. do you? No. But the one thing I wanted to bring up is if you look at Lorenzo on the left with his horse, and you look just above his head, way, way, way in the background, you can see four people who are standing in, on the steps of a building or whatever. Five. Five. Okay, thank you. Five. I, oh, I, I didn't mm. look. Yeah. Um, they are so tiny, so far back, but the detail is pretty mm-hmm. freaking incredible. They just happen to be look caught in the background. At the, yeah. Look up at the ruins. Look at the uh, the top of the Doric is boring. Ionic Corinthian is the most Ionic columns. Uh huh. Do you see the the grass? Yes. Like there's grass growing out of the right. tops of the ruins. Enough dirt yeah. has collected over the centuries that grass and other plants have started growing out of that. That I mean, did, did yeah. he? He probably saw that as far as coming up with that on his own. I imagine he's looking at around when he was in Rome, and he probably saw something like that. That's an incredible touch. Well, I don't think he'd been to Rome at this oh, stage. Had okay. he went to Rome after this? I think. Uh, yeah. Okay. But he's probably That's... seen Roman ruins in his travels around Umbria, and uh, yeah, I wonder what the connection yeah. is though between. The adoration of the Magi scene and the fall of Rome. If there's a connection, he's Actually, trying to tell us something about. I mm. have a theory on that. I have a theory on that. Let me find it here real quick because mm. I felt this is really cool. Okay, so when he puts Mary and the baby up, one he needs to do that for the triangle effect of, to to uh, focus your gauge, and so he needs the big foreground as well. But there was one um, historian that was saying. Mary is literally sitting on the ruins of the Roman Empire. She is stronger. What she represents, Christianity, oh. is stronger than the... But not only that, but also because um, uh, Cosimo is there at her feet, he is also slightly raised compared to everybody else. So it's like Botticelli was saying, Christianity is literally sitting on top of the ruins of Rome and the Medici... As long as they're in charge of Florence, they will also be um, stronger. Florence will be better for it than what Rome was um, when it was in power. So it was like those two are better than the great Roman Empire because as great as it was and as long as it lasted, it is now in ruins. And now you've got these new powers. You've got the you've got Christianity and you've got the Medici. Oh, nice. She's, of course, yeah. the Christians were also in control of Rome when it collapsed. So I'm <laughs> not sure how Good you point. work yeah. that out. I don't know. Because Theodosius know. was, uh, you know, mm. Constantine was the three, the early 300s. Theodosius but, at the end, very, very Christian, right. and then uh, it all fell to other but Christians. You, so, right. hmm. But you could easily argue that Rome began to, began to disintegrate before the Christians come along with the, when it converts to an empire and there's a lot of backstabbing and they're all kissing the ass of one guy. It's the beginning, it's the, the beginning of an end, even though the end takes hundreds of years. That could be an argument. Yeah, if you stand on one leg and wink, right. <laughs> you could probably make that argument. Yeah. But I wonder who the first artist was to right. paint themselves into a painting Ooh. like this looking at the camera. 
Do you know? Looking at the audience. I don't know. No, I don't. No, it's something that uh, I would love to know. Was Botticelli the first to do this? I mean, it's not a self-portrait. It's not just a painting of himself. And self-portraits aren't a thing that would really happen until later. Yeah. Self-portraits, I think, took a little while to emerge. I mean, people... Uh, had, I mean, it had done it from time to time, I think, but it, it became a thing in the late Renaissance. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I wonder if this whole painting yourself into a painting thing to look out at the audience was uh, new. Another part of what I was saying about that interpretation as far as things have changed from the way they were when Rome was an empire is that, this painting is also telling other stories. Gaspare, even though he has amassed this wealth, because this is this painting is going to be a part of his funeral. So I'm trying to remember the exact um, thing, but the point is he's decorating a part of his church where he's going to be buried one day. But he started out the son of a barber. He got into money, money exchanging, and money, uh, yeah, money changers, and he, and he eventually made a lot of money. So he is in this painting. He has commissioned this painting. He is in the same painting with the mother of God and Jesus Christ. Now, it makes sense that the Medici are in there because, like you said, they're the 1% of the 1%. It makes sense that they would be as close to God as you could get. But now the artist is also in the same painting. They are all on the same plane because you and I have said before that artists by this time are not just workers who just happen to use paint and do sculpting they're actually semi-celebrity they they stand out you know it's it's you they can do incredible things for you because they can create an object that's worth a lot of money that you can keep in your home so they're not just common workers anymore so in this one painting you have jesus the mother of god the medici the man who was the son of a barber who commissioned this and the artists all in the same painting on the same plane and they're all important in their own different ways their own different reasons into this one painting. So it's like the the socioeconomic forces have changed based on other things besides just having money. There is talent as well that the rich want to possess. So supposedly he was trying mm. to throw out a lot of messages in this painting. Mm. Gaspari di Zanobi de Lama. Right. That's was his name. Uh, full name. Right. I don't know anything else about him. I don't know that we know much about him, mm. but... Uh, oh. Yeah, and the other thing was that associated with this, right? And the other thing was that because he was a money lender, a money exchanger, there's usury that is technically against the church. But like the Medici's, he's using his money wisely to beautify a local chapel that one day he'll be buried in. So what he's doing is wrong according to the church, but he's using the money for the good of the people and of the city to help make up for the sin of usury. Yeah. That was all I could find on him. Because that's how you do it. Right. Or you buy you, a uh, you send an now indulgence. An indulgence. Yes. <laughs> exactly mm. right. Yeah, I, I, I read that he was a, uh, a wealthy agent of the same banker's guild that the Medici belonged to, but that's it. He mm-hmm. was some sort of a, a banker dude that made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't come up in any of our lists of the power players of Florence, but had enough money to get a painting done. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, oh, that's, that's all for that painting. So Botticelli, after this, was so famous 
that he was sought after, including the Pope, who at this stage was still Sixtus IV, Pope Sixty, and I know it, <laughs> who had uh, not long after this had finished building the Sistine Chapel. Right. Uh, named after him, of course. Sistine is named after Pope Sixtus. Mm. And he summoned Botticelli to Rome to work on painting it. Now, most people, I think, today associate the Sistine Chapel with Michelangelo. Right. But uh, he only did the ceiling and the last judgment on the, the, the back wall. Lots of artists worked in there before him and... Apparently, the work there, the early painting work, the frescoes on the walls were supervised by Perugino, who arrived there before the Florentines. Mm. And then Gerlandaio, Botticelli and Roselli all followed, but they reckon uh, Perugino would have been the guy who... Uh, 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 supervised it all. The Florentines went, it is thought, as part of a reconciliation project between <laughs> Lorenzo and Pope Sixtus after the whole, oh, you tried to kill me thing. <laughs> right. Uh, they did a peace deal sense. around that. So the Florentines started to work in the Sistine Chapel in the spring of 1481, which meant Botticelli got to go to Rome. Uh, and he painted a number of the scenes uh, in the Sistine Chapel. Now, Perugino, we haven't talked about before. We should talk about him because he's he's a key figure mm-hmm. in the Renaissance. Born in Umbria, in the province of Perugia, best known today for the Umbria Jazz Festival, which I intend to go to one day, right? and for Bacci Chocolate, the most famous chocolate brand in Italy, which is made... In uh, Perugia, I've been to the the main Bacci store in Perugia. Uh, Great chocolate and uh, beautiful, beautiful town, Perugia. It's also the best place apparently to go to learn Italian. Mm. If you want to go and study Italian, you go go study at uh, the university in Perugia. Huh. I wonder what makes it. But here's my. Oh, they've just got a good Italian language course there apparently. Gotcha. Uh, now, uh, Perugino's greatest disciple was Raphael, oh. the other one of the <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who replaced Botticelli. Right. <laughs> now, apparently he got paid a ton of money for working on the Sistine Chapel, which Vasari says he immediately wasted on hookers and coke. Yes. And became even more famous. <laughs> That's how you do it. So... Rockstar. Rock and roll, yeah. baby. He was he was a rock star. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> now, around this stage, he also illustrated a copy of Dante's Divine Comedy, which he then had printed. Some pages of it still survive in museum in Berlin and in the Vatican Library. And it might have been commissioned by a guy who turned out to be incredibly important in Botticelli's career, Lorenzo di Pier Francesco de Medici. What do you know about LDP DM, right? <laughs> oh, I'm afraid I don't I don't know anything about him. Terribly sorry. Uh oh, I'm 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 shocked, Ray. <laughs> shocked and surprised. 
Me too. Uh, we've mentioned him briefly before. Uh, he's from one of the lesser branches of the Medici, uh. I think. His great grandfather was one of the guys that was in the Signoria and got run out of town, mm. and then you know they were allowed to come back when Cosimo took over things, right? But uh, he was a major, so n- not one of the major uh, uh, branches of the Medici, but it was still wealthy enough that he was able to commission not only the uh, Divine Comedy by Botticelli. Mm-hmm. But also the birth of Venus and the allegory of spring, the primavera. Right. The two works that I would argue are his most famous paintings today, both at the Uffizi Gallery in Florence, uh, commissioned by Lorenzo di Pier Francesco de' Medici, who, as we'll see later on in, in the series, turns against. <gasps> the senior Medici line after Lorenzo and the Magnificent dies, gets exiled from Florence, later returns and uh, nearly takes over Florence but doesn't. He gets offered the job of being the boss of Florence, Mm. turns it down. Would you turn it down? Uh, It's too dangerous. Yeah, it is too dangerous, yeah. <laughs> but was an important patron of Botticelli, Michelangelo and others. Good. So not all of the great patronage came out of Lorenzo the Magnificent or that line of the Medici. Mm-hmm. Um, but for good reason. I mean, uh, during this period when Piero the Gouty died, remember the bank, and then they had a lot of wars. Oh, yes. Remember the bank was on hard times and branches shut down and Lorenzo mm-hmm. needed to borrow money, quote unquote, borrow money <laughs> right. out of the Florence treasury. He said, well, it's all our money really anyway, quite honestly. Right. But uh, So he couldn't afford to pay all of his favourite artists what they deserved in their going rates at this time. So he was kind of farming them out to popes and and other rich Florentine uh, uh, wealthy bankers, etc. So they were being looked after and doing great works, but it wasn't coming directly from him. But he was tapping these people on the shoulder and saying, listen, if if you really want to be in my good books, you know what you could do? Commission Botticelli, my mate. Little bottle over here, <laughs> Sandro, Sandy, right, Sandy Pants, as I call him, to uh, do some do some paintings for you. That's how you get in my good books, right? And if you want to put me in the painting, like Gaspare did, hey, that's all good too. Yeah. You know, nothing wrong with that. I'll take it. Now Botticelli is remembered for painting a ton of religious paintings, like a million Madonna and Childs and the Madonna getting shot by snipers and all this (laughs) kind of stuff. There's a million of those. (laughs) But I would argue that he is probably most famous today for those two paintings I mentioned before, his non-religious paintings. Ah, right. The Birth of Venus, or what did you call it? Venus on a Half Shell. Right. And the Primavera, or the... Allegory of Spring. Mm-hmm. Not Christian paintings, but they're, they're not really non-religious either because they are pagan right. paintings. Right. Pre-Christian? They are pagan gods. Right. Well, I guess, yeah. 
They are pagan god paintings. Now, again, this is Florence in the late 1400s when he's painting these, ostensibly, despite all of the humanism that's been going on, still a very religious place. Despite the Renaissance and the humanism and all that kind of stuff. So most of the people commissioning art are going to be after religious work, but some, apparently like Lorenzo di Pier Francesco de' Medici, were a little bit more adventurous. Mm -hmm. They were commissioning art, and he in particular, was commissioning art that wasn't religious, it was pagan. Now, this is a big fucking deal. I tried to think of an analogy. Mm. The closest I could come to was a rich American hiring a sculptor to build a huge statue for downtown New York City to go right next to the Statue of Liberty, let's say, put it there in the the bay, of Karl Marx or (laughs) Lenin or... Che Guevara, Fidel right. Castro, yeah. Muhammad, yeah. <laughs> that, I like the other ones because capitalism is the real religion of the United States, as we yes. know. Yes. So uh, that's, to me, these paintings, when you look at the Primavera or the Birth of Venus, that's how you need to think of them. Like these are, in their day, incredible statements. Right. Because I can't think of another masterpiece before these Botticelli paintings that were of pagan gods. And, and I wonder if the person who's painting... Everything for, up until this point is religious. Right. And I wonder if the Sorry, person who's... And I wonder if the person who's paying for it goes, yeah, give me something different. Or if Botticelli went, hey, you know what? I got a great freaking idea. I just need you to trust me. I wonder where... The decision. I wonder who actually made the decision. If I had to guess, I would imagine it was the person forking out the money because the artist wants to make them happy. So yeah, it probably was someone who was um, well connected with the Medici, who would be relatively safe, but at the same time wanted something different, knowing it was risky, but probably also knowing they could get away with it. Yeah, I mean, and it's ballsy. Yeah, really, really ballsy. I mean, we've talked about ballsy art before. Remember uh, Donatello did that sculpture of David from David and Goliath mm-hmm. uh, where he looked like a, he was a twink, right. very, very gay-looking twink, yes. Donatello, yes. Uh, David. Yeah. So we've had that very sexual very and homosexual. We've had that, but this is this is a big deal. These paintings, yeah, not just because they're beautifully rendered and probably two of the most beautiful paintings ever done. Right. Uh, but also in the time that they were made, uh, I mean, I, another analogy is uh, Lou Reed in, with the Velvet Underground in 1966 writing and recording a song about shooting heroin. <laughs> I mean... right. You know? Yeah, uh, balls to the wall. Well, the, the Medici thing was Pale on their uh, family crest or emblem. Balls. So hey. Balls. Yeah. Let's let's listen let's listen to a little bit of heroin for people who don't know it.
feel just like Jesus' son. <laughs> That's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, wrong. so he, uh, yeah. yeah, like uh, these, these, these are the masterpieces on so many levels. Right. Um, <clears throat> now, he is, of course, uh, Botticelli, this is, living in the Palazzo Medici with Pico and Poliziano, who we've talked about in the past. Pico was the guy who decided he could synthesise all of human religion and philosophy at the age of 23 and was willing to get up in front of the Pope and all of the Cardinals and argue it until they all fucking agree with him. Poliziano wrote the poem The Joust of Giuliano de' Medici, invented the concept of the gentleman, and, and this is important, talked about in his poem Giuliano's love uh, of Simonetta Vespucci, Mm -hmm. who we have talked about before, the uh, wife of the cousin of Amerigo Vespucci, right. the guy who America is named after. Right. Yeah, and she was a complete fucking hottie. <laughs> she was the hottest woman in all of oh, Florence. man. Yeah. So these are the guys he's hanging out with, sharing a house with, plus Lorenzo and Giuliano. So they're, they're, you know, these are the guys that are the smartest, most artistic motherfuckers in the world at the time. Right. Talking about love and beauty and truth and philosophy and history, and he is going to paint that. The same way that Lou Reed studied under Delmore Schwartz, and Delmore Schwartz introduced him to great classics of literature and poetry and Lou Reed in the 60s, he's like, well, I'm going to write rock songs that are like great novels and great right. poems. I'm going to talk about sex and drugs explicitly. I'm not going to fuck around and put them in code. Right. I'm not going to talk about Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. I'm going to say when I put a spike into my vein <laughs> because if you can do that in books, you should be able to do it in songs, right? Good point. Uh, to, to me, Botticelli is the Lou Reed of the Renaissance. He's going, well, if you guys can write about truth and beauty, I can paint it, right? Yeah. So he's, he's, he's bringing his truth to... His art, and, and it's inspired by these guys he's hanging around with. But I just have to say, out of all the things that you just said in the last three minutes, you didn't mention Jesus, Mary, God, religion, faith. I mean, this this painting has um, figures from classical mythology, and it's in a garden. Yes, it's in an orange garden. The orange tree is a symbol which, of... Which, 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 which... 
Which which painting? You keep the saying Primavera. this painting. So I was which painting? The Primavera. Oh, yeah, the Primavera. okay. So yeah, so right. so it's these um this this group of figures that we're going to get into from classical mythology. They're in a garden, and the orange tree that is in there is a symbol of the Medici family. There's no set story explaining how this particular group of people would get together. So is it just an allegory of spring? Is it truly this masterpiece where he just takes bits and pieces from ancient Greece? Ovid, whatever, and he puts it all together, and there's no baby, there's no virgin, there's no God, there's no angels of a sort, and it's just, it's it's a masterpiece, but it's non-religious, and it's going to be celebrated for being, like you said, one of the greatest paintings in the world. Mm. Yeah, so again, if you're if you're watching at home, open this up in front of you, and let's just, before we get into, and I've got a lot of stuff from books that I'm going to read, because... When you when you're fucking around with one of the greatest uh, yeah. uh, masterpieces in history, I, I I don't want to yeah. I don't want to make it up, and I don't want to pretend I'm making it up. I want to just read from probably one of the greatest books, I think, on Botticelli, which I'm going to read from. But first of all, I just want to look at it and run my eyes over it and and see what jumps out. So again, Ray, we have this. I think the first thing is this triangular structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the middle now, instead of Mary right. being in the focal point in the middle, in the the line of perspective where our eye comes in, mm-hmm. we don't have we don't have Mary. We have uh, some woman, right? Pre pre May pre Mary Vera is what right. it was called. <laughs> we don't we don't have Mary, right? We have some we have some other chick and yeah, again, smoking hot. Yeah. Smoking hot. Pleasing um, features. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. very, very, very sexy. Got the big eyes. The lips are a little bit more pouty here. Heads tilted. Uh, hot bod. Yeah. Come hither. Breasts. Yeah. And her breasts, I mean, she's fully clothed, but her breasts are sort of this embroidery right. they stand around out. her breasts, accentuating. Yes. Ex- yes. Yes, accentuating her breasts. They're not hidden. They're like in your face. Yeah, like I like um, she also, She also has a bit of a belly on her. Looks like she could be pregnant. Ah. She's about yeah. to. Uh, yeah, there. She could be pregnant. A yeah. uh, little bit Which of a belly going out. on there. She has sex. Above her, above her, we do have a Cupid. Classic right. Cupid, blind, shooting his flaming arrows, has wings. Yes. Proof that Botticelli could paint wings. Right. Um, and he's aiming his arrow at the these three women that are dancing. Yes. Um, who are the three women, Ray? Uh, the three graces. Who are who, Ray? Oh, chastity, beauty, and love. Yes, again, uh, ancient Greek. We've talked about them before, the charis or the graces. Um, Three or more goddesses, charm, beauty, nature, human creativity, fertility, known as the charities or the charities, Mm -hmm. if we pronounced it in modern style, but the charities in Greek. The, the, they turn up in ancient Greek sculpture, ancient Greek art, and uh, Botticelli is putting them 
into this painting. So, you know, we know that he's familiar right. with uh, these, these traditions. You know, you can find the three graces in... Uh, they're in a fresco in Pompeii that survived in Pompeii, a first century fresco. Oh, cool. So the, 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 these they go way back to ancient times. Mm-hmm. So uh, Cupid is shooting an arrow in the direction of the graces. Again, with the graces, all gorgeous, yes. like stunning, beautiful, stunning, uh, all with this sort of red hair, uh, like uh, strawberry blondes. They're all strawberry blondes. Um, Their breasts, uh, they're not naked, but, you you know, you get hints of some boob action going on here. There's a bit of, you know. They they, they remind me, I went to this. Yeah. Yeah, there was this uh, sort of restaurant in Melbourne that we used to go to for lunch sometimes, business lunch restaurant, where the hostesses, were all drop dead gorgeous and would wear you know flimsy uh, clothing like this and it was just all a big prick tease and then they they'd come and they'd spend the first 15 minutes just like getting your dick hard and then right. they'd bring you the wine menu that had you know thousand dollar bottles of champagne on it and they'd go hey well yeah. uh. you know I sit down and have a drink with you if you buy one of these bottles and I'd be like ha ha <laughs> I knew I, yeah. I knew there was something going on here. <laughs> I knew you weren't that into me. Uh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what else jumps out at me? So on the far right, uh-huh. there's some oh, scary motherfucking scary. demon dude. <laughs> Blue, green skin. He's got big, scary devil wings. Yes. Uh, coming out. Out of his back, he's he's like coming out of this forest of yes. orange snatching trees, it. yeah, grabbing yes. some babe. This babe again, scantily clad. Yeah. Uh, wow. You can see, pretty sure you can see her. Uh, oh, you can see the it. JJ down yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, you can see it. Uh, she's got she's got flowers coming out of her mouth yep. that are falling to the ground. He's grabbing her uh, by the boob. Mm-hmm. Um, so that jumps out. What the fuck's going on there? Uh, yeah. Next to her, uh, Uma Thurman is dressed in. Yes, uh, thank you. I don't know, like a, a dress covered in flowers. She's got she's got a handfuls of flowers that she's holding in the folds of a dress, which she's dropping to the floor of the forest, mm-hmm. where the flowers are scattered everywhere. And then on the far left, we've got some dude, young, uh, wearing a sword. Yeah, he is. Yeah, some young stud wearing a sword, barely clad in a red cloak. And he just looks bored. He's got some sort of a, a key that he's sticking up in the air. There's some, like, clouds yeah. up in the air there, I like, in, among, lower than the trees that he's right. He's prodding. You know, the thing that he's holding up? Yeah. It's, got, it orna- it's got ornamentation on it oh, if you okay. zoom in. Zoom it's, in. like, okay. above, above his hand level. Right. There's some fancy oh. key or some fancy symbol of something. I thought and he's either trying to pick clouds. an orange or he's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's doing something to the clouds. 
And he looks completely disinterested. Yeah. Like, like dude, there's Chillax. like six smoking hot, barely clad babes uh, behind you. What's going on? Yeah, that's not a thing. He's not interested. Yeah. He, obviously gay. Right. Obviously some gay dude. Not even bi. He's like, yeah, right. I'm not into that. Yeah. Yeah. No, like no, no, no. Yeah. He's got really cool uh, footwear, though. Like <laughs> leather all the way up at his toes are sticking out. And yeah. uh, like... Can, shin guards at the front there. With his hand on his hip, the way it is, do you get a whole hello sailor vibe from him? I yes, don't know, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm Darnell. How long are you in for? Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I gave away too much. Sorry. <laughs> Darnell. I don't know. I remember that name. <laughs> Stage name. So that's like on first glance, that's what's going on here. Um, yeah. Dark, like it's surprisingly dark because they're in a forest. Yes, it's very dark. Um, although the characters themselves are all brightly lit. Yeah, the contrast. Obviously, they've got they've got some beautiful lighting in term. They must have some you know big. LED lights <laughs> behind the viewer that are lighting up the scene because the forest itself is very dark. Yes. But we're able to see the flowers. So the, the use of lighting is very peculiar here. Yeah. But just, like, you look at the the flimsy clothes that the Graces are wearing, man. Like but The detail. What, the freaking detail. The de- it's insane. And it's hot. It's, you can see some naked ass cheeks. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, the grace in the middle, you can see a butt cheek there. Like, I'm getting turned on by that. Hint of side boob from the one in the middle there. No nipple, but a bit of hint of side boob. That's enough. So, and, you know, the hint of the one on the right's for JJ. So, like, there's an all, if you look, yeah, look at the one on the far right. Her arm, just above her arm. I'm pretty sure there's a hint of nipple there. Yeah. Just she, her hair is a covering twinge, up her breast bit. A, a twinge hint of, nipple. of nipple. Right. <laughs> that's the that's the technical term. <laughs> a twinge of nipple. So Yeah. You know, he this is like the closest we've seen to porn so far. Right. Uh, and gay and straight porn. Yes. And maybe lesbian porn if you're into oh. that with the girls. <laughs> like It's something for everybody. Demon porn if you're into that. Which There's something for everybody here. And Cupid is shooting his lust arrow at the three graces, which I think right. means a lesbian uh, uh, menage a trois going on is what he's, what's so. Cupid's aiming for there. And I'm totally, right. totally on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, this is a super sexy and just beautiful painting. The beauty in this is insane. And uh, uh, um, I'm going to read, just to wrap this up, I'm going to read from a book. Um, Well, before I get into that, uh, 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 the first time this was ever described in writing was in Giorgio Vasari. He saw it at the Villa Castello. Mm Mm-hmm. Just outside of Florence in 1550, he just says, Venus with the graces who cover her with flowers representing spring. So, you know, uh, didn't go to too much effort there, Vasari. Right. Um, You know, we've spent an hour and 15 minutes talking about it already. That's all you can come up with? Jesus. (laughs) 
I'm right. going to read from a book. This is uh, this is a book called Botticelli. It's by uh, Emile Gebhardt, a French academic who died in 1908. Grand nephew, by the way, of General Drouot, took part in the French Revolution, fought wow. with Napoleon, uh, not f- against Napoleon, but with Napoleon, right. went into exile with him on Elba, was made governor of the island of Elba by Napoleon, and led the Imperial Guard at Waterloo. Mm. Napoleon called him the sage of the Grand Armée, and this is his uh, grand nephew, same relationship Augustus had to Julius Caesar, by the by, uh, who wrote this book about Botticelli, and there's a modern version of it that I've got with beautiful uh, plates artwork. Anyway, this is what he says about this painting. Try and have it in front of you if you can. Mm. We see a sacred lemon forest a dark cluster of trees laden with golden fruits, pierced by the whiteness of a pale sky. Eight figures rise at the forest's edge on a multicoloured flowery meadow. They seem more like fleeting visions of a dream than actual people. They are the visible expression of one single idea. These eight figures are set up in five different scenes and it takes some discernment to detect a link between them. To the right of the viewer, a young girl is winding out of the arms of an aerial demon, a rather evil-looking greenish spectre with large wings that are stuck between the trees. She is naked under a transparent drapery. The blonde hair is ruffled, her arm held out in front of her. She is turning towards the demon and seems to beseech him. A branch of flowers is coming out of her mouth. She is about to run in front of the Primavera, but the young woman personifying Spring is in no way disturbed by the girl's distress. She is walking towards us in a very erect posture, her bright eyes fixed on the viewer. In the middle of the painting, in the background, before a shrub of fine greenery, there is a blonde woman in a white veil and a bluish robe. She is holding a rich red cloak up to the level of her waist. Its blue inner lining is embroidered with gold. Her right hand seems to be raised in a blessing. Her glance addresses no one. Then there is the charming group of three blonde graces who are holding hands and dancing. Two bare arms, two joined hands rise above the group in a symbol of unity. They have ash blonde hair, One of them is wearing it down. On the other two heads, it is elaborately dressed. Their veils are woven from air and indulgently betray their young, blossoming shapes. Finally, at the far left of the composition, we see an almost nude young man with a violet drapery folded around his middle and with headdress and shoes in the style of Mercury. He is lifting his caduces to the branches as if he wants to harvest a lemon. He is turning his back on the nymphs of the meadow. This Hermes is a Hippolytus, not towards him, but but toward the three graces flies a little amour, fluttering over the head of the woman in the white dress with his bow drawn ready to shoot his arrow. This entire scene is rather enigmatic. The evil demon and the nymph who is 
desperately trying to escape, depict an alarming scene of violence. The austere Venus is mysterious, dressed chastely like a Roman matron, while the nymph and the graces wear more indiscreet fabrics. Equally strange is the presence and gesture of Mercury. Many art historians have attempted to attach names to these figures. Had not Poliziano's Giostra served as a theme for Botticelli? Should we, therefore, look for Simonetta in the painting? Since the figure of Hermes echoes the features of Giuliano, Simonetta could not be far. But which of the three women represents the handsome Medici's lover? The nymph, Primavera, or Venus? Critics alternately honoured each one of them as the spirit of Vespucci. She thus appears threefold. Here is the nymph described by Poliziano, Primavera. There in the middle, Simonetta Catanio, as she was in her lifetime, with the expression of suffering that marked the end of her life. The latter does indeed vaguely resemble the Chantilly portrait, because he did a lot of portraits of Simonetta. Right. But what a difference between the features of the Primavera and Piero di Cosimo's figure. Finally, the terrified nymph who comes dashing out of the lemon forest finishes the strange trinity. One single woman, one single lover in three persons. The young painter conceived the ideal young woman, a type of woman that neither poetry nor art had ever revealed to Italy to that day. The Primavera, attractive and worrisome, of noble beauty, neither Madonna nor concubine, dazzling and sweet. Primavera is a majestic creature. The nymph with a very light veil and the three dancing graces are just lovely young girls who perhaps would not have intimidated either Roland or Sacrepont. With svelte features and languishing eyes, the grace who appears in an almost frontal view wears an expression that is almost weary of pleasure. The one who appears in profile to the right of the group is of a nobler race, very gentle, frail and soft, her hair laced with pearls. She conveys a more innocent dignity, but her face has such a kind expression. Primavera, very tall, svelte, with forms that are marvellously refined and full, is walking at a solemn pace. One marvellous barefoot is gliding forward on the velvety grass that makes her appear even taller. The garlands of Petals and leaves that adorn her blonde head and shoulders, as well as the flower bouquets that are sewn to her white silk robe, give her a sort of cheerful majesty. Violet and red carnations, gold narcissus, white daisies, cornflowers, roses, hyacinth and snow lilies, all this ambrosial finery makes this young woman the violent epitome of nature. And from which distant world comes this strange creature to Florentine Italy? The way she holds her head is so imposing, her attitude so proud that she makes us think of the half-goddesses of Nordic or Germanic sagas, those blonde nymphs with their sinister eyes of deceiving and cruel tenderness who wander on carpets of flowers in the pink glow of dawn or the pearly moonlight. The Italians use vague, nebulous words to express feminine beauty. Vaghezza, the seduction that arouses desire. Legiadria, charm. Venustia, the rhythm of pure form. Morbidezza, delicacy, or the exquisite pallor of the flesh and the physiognomy. 
While all these features apply to the Primavera, none of these terms can fully describe this bewitching figure. Her lovely weariness, the slanting look of those dreamy, pale green eyes that are framed by sleepy lids, the enigmatic smile of this broad mouth with lips that invite or promise a kiss, the mysterious sadness of this narrow face, the august demeanour of this tall, voluptuous creature who is floating in a robe of red flowers as if she were lifted up by ecstasy. Mm. Botticelli's pagan vision appears in this allegory of spring in all its Florentine freshness. When the painter returned from Rome in 1481, his aesthetic had changed. In the Eternal City, he had seen monuments of Greek and Roman sculpture. He had had the opportunity to converse with scholars, humanists and antiquaries. The feasts of the papal court at the time were not exactly a sermon on asceticism. When Botticelli left Sixtus IV, his imagination was excited by a more refined, more classical paganism, and he was pondering over works where nudity shows itself full of grace, such as the Venus Anadiomene, the birth of Venus, the Venus of Berlin, Venus and Mars resting, and the calumny of Apelles. This secular mythology seemed almost like a novelty, towards the end of the Quattrocento, Quattrocento, one that would have hurt the very bashful conscience of Fra Angelico. In fact, the myth of Venus resonates with the most profound echoes of Hellenism. In this religion of poets, which represented the forces of eternal nature with idealized human figures, the supreme charm came from the sea, this infinite source of fertility, mobile, alive and cheerful, which caressed the rivers and promontories of Greece with its blue waves. The sea which rolled out its idle blankets at the feet of Greece's sacred mountains. The Hymettus, the Olympus, Mount Helicon, Mount Parnassus. The sea which encircled shady isles with garlands of froth. The sea which cradled in its waves a whole population of tritons, nereids and nymphs. The sparkling sea, capricious, sometimes menacing with its infinite seductions and with its sirens who sing so beautifully and then lure the sailors into their sapphire blue grottos from which they are never to emerge to see the light of day. From the bosom of the sea had risen the great queen of the world, Aphrodite, desire, mistress of gods and humans, the memory of Venus and Adomini still inspired legends of terror in the Christian Middle Ages, and now the Italian Renaissance ingeniously invoked her near Dante's baptistery in Florence or on the tomb of the holy apostles in Rome. And of course, that leads us to the birth of Venus, but that'll be our next episode. <laughs> 